Welcome to Lectionary Call in for Tuesday, July 19th of 2022, where two laypersons, a pastor, and an academician gather for about 45 minutes each week to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday. The Sunday's July 24th. Each Tuesday we call in from wherever we may be at 6.30 a.m., always pointing out that our friend Charles Willard is in Minnesota, and that means it's 5.30 a.m. Our little team is working to <laughs> Our little team's working to be faithful to lectionary year C. That puts us in the Gospel of Luke on Sunday with a very special passage. We hope this discussion will provide areas of focus and reflection. Here's how it works. We develop perspectives independently after the leadoff person shares some formative questions. And then in this virtual discussion, we share and encourage and challenge each other. And here are the folks joining us in today's discussion. Sarah Mickelson from St. Pete Beach. Bill Hall, St. Petersburg, Florida. Charles Willard, Maple Grove, Minnesota. I'm Don Upton. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, in the spirit of uh, calling in from wherever we may be, uh, Sarah is away from home. Has found a nice, quiet spot to call in. We always appreciate that, Sarah. Thank you. And uh, today I'll read the scripture and we'll jump right into the discussion. Uh, It's Luke 11, 1 through 13. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. He was praying in a certain place, and after he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray, as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. And he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend. You go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. For a friend of mine has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, do not bother me. The door has already been locked and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I'll tell you, even though he will not get up and give his friend, at least because he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, you will find, knock and the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks, receives, and everyone who searches, finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, we'll give a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more would the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And that's the word of the Lord. Well, uh, there are three questions we're going to work with today, and I'm going to read them all because they, they're intertwined. And then heads up, Sarah, I'm coming to you with the first question. Uh, the first one is, we've read this passage for years uh, and through our lives, and today I'm curious what value and purpose do you see in teaching this prayer in the 21st century? The uh, second question is, if asked about the opening of the door, how would you explain what is taking place? How do you take it from general metaphor or an abstraction to something tangible? And finally, do we all know how to give a good gift? And what impact is possible if we have this in our hearts? How do you explain knowing a good gift to your 21st century colleague? But let's get to the first question. 
We've read this for years, and today, what value, Sarah Mickelson, and purpose do you see in teaching this prayer? Um, my first thoughts were I really didn't know, so I poked around to um, see what others had thought, and Mark Davis shared that sometimes I find it helpful to remember that even in English, prayer is not necessarily just talking to God or a religious act. It might be as simple as asking politely. So my thought was, in that case, is prayer always an act? And I wondered if it wasn't just a conversation around purpose and, and if there was something specific to be asked for. And I think that may be what drove the conversation with the disciples. Um, if you were asking specifically for care and concern or um, resources or a particular situation to resolve itself, um, that maybe asking politely is always a good choice. Luke's Jesus seems to underscore that, that this is a prayer of the people, not an individual's prayer. And I thought that was important to note that maybe this is an example of how we might pray as a, as a people or as a, a group of believers. Um, Tannen Hill said that uh, the faith commended in hearing stories is a boldness that refuses to be stopped by social property. I like that a lot. Um, the prayer invites a boldness and impudence to speak directly and ask. Um, maybe this would be the first occasion in my mind that there wasn't an intermediary between God and the petitioner and that this was a conversation around how do you approach that and and at what point in time is it appropriate and how is it proper um, and if you were given free license to pray for anything I'm thinking of when we taught three-year-olds how to pray in Sunday school they asked for very interesting things like chocolate milk and um, maybe a trip to a particular favorite place, um, a restaurant or a destination that they like to go to. Um, but that adult prayers are somewhat different. <laughs> I haven't heard anybody asking for chocolate milk lately. And I thought that was an interesting perspective is that the, the art of praying matures over time and with the maturity of the believer. Um, so I guess to summarize, I think it's important that we teach prayer. I think it's important that prayer be of the people and not necessarily an individual prayer. And that um, it, 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 it invites boldness and impudence and that I don't often exercise those things. Thank you. Uh, as I was uh, preparing for this this week, I, Bill Hall, I was thinking how rarely we've all been together doing this podcast for years and years and years. We've gone through the three-year cycles. How rarely we talk about prayer in our group because we depend on the lectionary cycles to prompt prize. We talk about prayer probably once a year, if that, when we hit this passage or its sister passage, I guess, in Matthew. But Bill Hull, what are your thoughts? Uh, thank you for the question, Don, <clears throat> and I, I hear what you're saying. I, I pondered this, um, 
here are my thoughts. Teaching involves the whole person. For example, yesterday, as a Habitat volunteer and a part of a special group of us who are on call at a moment's notice if we're available to fill in a gap, we were led by a staff person in a group evaluation of how Habitat of Pinellas and West Counties is doing in its use, utilization of volunteers, primarily building houses, but there are some other things that people can do. One of the repeated themes was that we are not primarily building houses. Rather, we are participating with others in building lives. Uh, homeowner candidates are required to take a number of courses dealing with money management, family relationships, home upkeep, and we've seen over and over again how having a safe, secure house improves the children's school performances and at times leads to advancements in jobs. Uh, we are seeking to know, value, and help shape the whole person with those we serve and habitat. Now, my, my link is that prayer in the same way touches the whole person. It's not just a religious act that we do in a moment. Um, and many scholars made the point that this prayer is not a formula. Uh, we can't reduce this to, you know, there's, there, you've got to follow a certain pattern. Rather, I think Jesus's prayer for the, offered to the disciples as a teaching moment touches on many levels of our lives, intent, attitude, priorities, focus, uh, patience, actions. Um, the parallel in Matthew 6, you, you alluded to that, um, occurs in the context of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And just briefly to remind us, in Matthew's version, there's, there's a context in which this occurs, in which Jesus warns against uh, a public display of piety, of making a show of your uh, religiosity, and do not be like hypocrites and stacking words on top of uh, words. Do not use empty phrases. And then he says, pray in this way. So that, that Jesus offering the prayer saying it's not about making a show. It's about a, a communication within oneself with uh, God. And Matt Skinner, in his article in Working Preacher entitled, Who Taught You How to Pray, uh, says that the, the request, teach us to pray, is about to Jesus. Show us your heart or tell us what it is like to be in communion with God. Show us how to discover what, look, what love looks like. Love in action, love for God and neighbor. Uh, and you, it's obvious the, the prayer contains the person's request for daily bread, but it also has the person's commitment to forgive others as God has forgiven. So it's, it's inward and outward uh, direction. And um, it brought to mind, Don, and I'll finish with this, a song I learned as a child that still 
reverberates in my head. But I'm not gonna I'm gonna spare you my singing, <laughs> but the, the melody is so beautiful. Prayer is a soul sincere desire, unuttered or expressed. Therefore, I think times when I've been with people in tragedies and don't know what to say, I am praying. I'm I'm acknowledging the depth of of the sorrow. Prayer is a soul sincere desire, unuttered or expressed. Thank you for the question, Don. Thank you. Charles, the question is the value, the purpose of teaching prayer in the 21st century. I'll start out by saying what comes to my mind, and that is that I don't think that we really know how to pray. I don't. I think that it's, it's, it's become so routinized that we don't stop to think about what we're saying. We simply say it. Um, every now and then when it becomes unroutinized is when a friend comes at night and asks for something, and we at first we are reluctant to uh, respond, but eventually we do. We come around. I'm not sure what we've learned from that. Um, I'm puzzled to it today. It's, it's, um, it's, 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 a puzzling, it's a puzzling thing to me. Thank you. It, it, I I like the term puzzlement. It is a puzzlement, and just it's still surprised that here we are talking about it once a year. If that, maybe the cycle <laughs> the cycle needs to be tweaked a bit so we could talk about it. I was going back in my notes thinking about the business of teaching prayer and what I remember, and I mean I have lots of notes on that, and I just pull out two. One is uh, Bill Wallace. Uh, who taught lectionary class at Palmasia Presbyterian Church, who was the dean of the chapel, uh, for years. Uh, when he came to this passage, he said, at least my note says, he said, uh, in Luke, Jesus was constantly in prayer. Const- that's a frame of Luke. Uh, isn't that funny? <laughs> we don't talk about it much, but he's constantly in prayer. And we're in year C, which is mostly Luke. And here we are, just talking about it briefly. And the second is uh, at the same church, uh, Thomas Hill Presbyterian Church, that makes this podcast possible. John Debevoice, who's the senior pastor there, preached on this uh, several years ago on an early cycle. And he said, look, this is part of Christian literacy. And I think about you know, literacy as a, an analogy and the, the journey I'm going through my own literacies the business of life, that literacy itself, is complicated and quite a journey. So those two notes jumped off the page to me, and today I'm, as a result, thinking about the business of living, incorporating the teaching of prayer into the business of living. And the analogy I would hold up is, um, like, uh, if you're praying, it could be very close to, well, this is a person who prepares. This is a person who thinks forward in the day. This is a person who imagines what the basic needs of the day, who that who you're talking to. This is a person that is reminded to, to have a focus for the day. I have a, uh, for those watching on Zoom, most folks listen on podcasts, I've got lists here beside me today to get me on the right path. And uh, boy, it sure looks prayerful to me. 
So there's that basic discipline, that basic literacy that John reminded us about several years ago. So let me get on to the, uh, the next question, and Bill, this will be coming to you. Uh, if you're asked about the opening of the door in this passage, how would you explain what is taking place? How do you take it from a general metaphor or an abstraction to something tangible? What do you think, Bill? Um, on the surface, it would seem clear that this is a simple metaphor. <laughs> we know how to open a door, and in our age, how to ring a doorbell. <laughs> I guess if we were writing it today, we might uh, include that. Uh, just a, a brief initial comment. To me, this is yet again an example that in spite of the centuries that separate the writing of this and our time now and different color, all those things we appropriately remind ourselves of, I think this metaphor is as powerful today as it was when Jesus focused. Focus. Doors, they lead to something. You go from here to there at times by going through a door. And, and I think that's part of the power of this, Don, is that its, it's simplicity <laughs> is engaging. Now, you're, you ask how to explain what is taking place. How do we take it from a general metaphor to something tangible? The gospel is that God's grace and God's initiative is the focus of our lives of faith. We are saved by grace. Yet as is reflected in counsel's ways in all of Scripture, we are to act, we are to reach out, we are to seek to discern as much of the will of God as we can. We are to not search. We, we, every time, I guess, anybody discusses Scripture, we will be dealing with that tension between God's initiative and our initiative, God's acts and our acts. That I see them as a... Um, as a dynamic whole, and it's not like God goes this far and we go this far. It's that by the Spirit, we are engaged in opening doors and seeking. Um, I take great comfort from Romans eight twenty six. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. <laughs> We have the Lord's Prayer, and yet the writer of Romans said, we do not know how to pray as we are, but, and this is grace, that very spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. I love that. To me, that's poetry. Sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows, knows what is the mind of the spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And that, for me, that last phrase, the Spirit intercedes according to the will of God, is key to this understanding for ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, um, that prayer is ultimately both our work and God's work. The Spirit intercedes with us. Um, and to me, the closed door is not a metaphor saying that God shuts us out. It is rather 
uh, I take it as an invitation and a promise that seeming barriers can be approached, trusting that with God's help, we will find a way through. Much of what I did as a pastor was say to people, I, I don't know what you should do, but I will pray with you, and I believe God will help you find a way through this. And I don't know what's true now, but back in the day, various counseling centers that I entered um, had a picture showing a sailing ship under sail and headed toward a narrow passageway. And the question was, the only way out is through. The only way out is through. And much of what I did as a pastor was to encourage people to sail their ship through a narrow passageway, trusting that the only way out was through. Um, I'll, I'll end with that, Don. It's, it's a lively metaphor. Thank you. Yeah, it's, a, it's such a great metaphor. So I, I put it in here to beg for maybe beg for the obvious, but I can't remember the last time someone actually asked me what it's for actually mean. It's as bold as it is. Sarah, how about you? I thought about this. And I thought, who would I open the door for? And and does this speak to the relationship between the person knocking and the person opening, um, or the prayer and the prayee, to follow our previous metaphor? Um, what is this telling me about hospitality? And who might welcome you being an interruption? Because knocking on a door is often an interruption to what's going on inside the house or, or the building. And um, or who, who would who would not mind you coming to them in a time of need? And all of those things are like, I would welcome just about anybody. You know, if, if they were in need, they needed help, or if they were, you know, the relationship that we have established would be the entree, to use a different opening metaphor. Um, might it be easier to think about asking or think about helping someone else rather than being the person making the ask? And I guess what I'm trying to say is sometimes it's easier to ask for someone else than it is to ask for yourself. Um, and then the opening of the door being an expression of hospitality or welcome. And I love Bill's conversation about it provides a new path, a path to a new place inside a home. Um, when I was a little kid, I remember everybody's house smelled very different. And you could walk in and go, oh, this is, this is the Asman house. It always smells this way. Or this is the Carm house. It always smells this way. And, and I just remember each home having its own personal sense of um, home and space. And, and different places you felt a different kind of welcome. So I thought about all those things when it comes to this opening of the door conversation. And who would, who would gladly open the door for me? And that would be my thought. And who would I gladly open the door for? And it would be easy to be one of my kids or one of my neighbors or somebody I knew. Um, it might be more difficult when it's a stranger, 
because I'm going to make the assumption they're trying to sell me something. Thank you. And Charles, coming to you in a second, I, I was uh, thinking proximity. Um, when when I read this and the ver- other versions of this in the gospel, I'm always nose to the door. I wonder why that is. I'm all, already there. I've already I've arrived, but I haven't arrived. But there's an arrival that's already taken place, which is I've approached the door. And if I think about other images of doors, I'm not always nose to the door. But I am here, and I'm curious if all of you are as well. Doesn't, I'm not going up a sidewalk. I'm not going up a hillside. Uh, there's not a house on the hill that I'm thinking about going to. I'm nose to the door. That This metaphor has got me already there. So there's a, it's a funny intimacy in that the door hasn't opened yet, but I'm there like yeah. this. Uh, and that's I had never thought about it that way before. So there is a, a preliminary arrival that I've chosen to be at the door. And immediately uh, I thought about when I've gotten to places too early and I've chosen not to knock. And I, <laughs> I'm notoriously early to a fault. You know, it's like somebody wants to have me over. It's like I'm too early. It's not good. You know, so I stand there and kind of listen. It's like, gosh, I wonder if I should knock now or not. I mean, I've gone through that thinking. It's like, should I? I've come all the way now. I'm on nose to the door. Hmm. Are they there? Oh, I hear someone talking. They may be busy. Hmm. Should I? Should I? Should I? Should I not? I'm not really sure. So there's a funny uh, memory that I had with that. And then, Sarah, to your point, the unspoken is the inside world, which I don't think about much. I think about the opening, which I think is the key message, that the door always opens. And where the metaphor draws out on me this time is, when is the door not open? A lot. A lot. Hello? Well, they said they would be here, but they're not home. Or someone chooses not to open. I'm used to doors not opening. That happens. That's a part of life. This always opens, but there's nothing about what's inside. And Sarah, you brought out the richness. I like the smells of homes. I think of the child. Each home did have a unique smell. They were decorated differently. It was a whole universe, right? A whole world. I'll use the word universe inside that I really cannot perceive unless the door opens and I'm invited inside. And the final note I had on this is I'm alone at the door. I think, even though this is about teaching prayer to many people, that's what leads into this, I think it insists on me, you, nose to the door, by yourself. This isn't alone. And I'm going to go into that more in this final question we're going to get into. But I think it's just me in my own thoughts, just me at the door with a whole universe on the other side. Charles Willard, what do you think about this? I'm thinking about my context and about how totally different it is from any of the context that any one of the three of you uh, has had experiences on a, on a regular, ongoing basis, or even on a interrupted, uh, periodic, uh, now and again basis. Uh, Nancy and I moved here uh, about a year ago from another place we were in here in Minnesota, and we've been there about a year or two. And this space that you're seeing me in right now is one room and a well, one, two, three, 
four-room apartment. And that's literally all the space we have and experience on a day-to-day basis. Uh, I have not stepped outside into the real world in months. It's that alone up here. And the I don't think that the I don't think that the managers of this particular this, this particular building have any sense of the 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 actual reality of their uh, their um, the people who are there. I don't think that they realize that you know that, that are coming and going uh, the caregivers, the managers, the cooks, uh, et cetera. Uh, what's on the other side of that personal process? They don't, they, because we don't go out, and it's not prepared for people to go out uh, because um, the only observation I made the other day was that you know they they don't prepare for uh, people who need uh, to, to use uh, uh, wheelchairs. They know that people need wheelchairs, but they, if you look, if you go into any one of the rooms here, any one of the uh, open rooms, uh, it's as though nobody, you know, there, there are no, there are no handicapped people here. Everybody is fine, and it's just a very strange experience that I'm having, uh, and continue to have since we moved here uh, a little bit more than a year ago now. It's a very nice place. The caregivers are very nice people, very nice people. Um, but there's no, there's no, there's no life there, as far as I can tell. I didn't mean to dump that, but there it was. Here it is. There it is. Well, thank you, Charles. Well, let's uh, let's bridge this into a final question, and I think what each of us has put on the table can take us into this third question. And uh, Bill Hall, I'll come to you, and I'm referring towards the end of the passage of the giving a good gift. We know how to give a good gift. And what impact is possible if we have this in our hearts? How do you explain knowing the good gift a 21st century colleague, Bill? Uh, challenging question. Um, as usual, my mind went a number of ways. I will focus. Um, this sounds specific, but it's a reminder that there are good and bad gifts. I think that's true, even though it sounds moralistic, perhaps. For example, there's a book out that came out, uh, I think, several decades ago entitled Helping That Hurts. It's by two men, young men, who went into mission work and began to discover that much of what people do in the name of charity actually hurts because we continue to, for example, 
uh, nurture dependency when the person would be most helped by engaging cooperatively in helping themselves. Part of my excitement about Habitat, it's not a handout, it's a hand up. As I've already mentioned, we seek to help people grow and be on their own. That's a powerful book to read. Uh, the, the sometimes subtle ways that we hurt because we help in a way that creates an unnecessary uh, dependence. And I don't mean to focus on the the negative, and I will do that a little more in just a moment. But it's a reminder to me to think about uh, the the nurture the nature of what we do, and Jesus's the the power of the metaphor is I take it he's saying, and we would today perhaps say reasonable parents, and there are very destructive parenting, but reasonable parents would somehow instinctively know that they needed to nurture their child. They would not give them a snake or a scorpion or whatever. They, they would seek to nurture that, that child. Um, but again, apologizing if necessary for a somewhat negative slant, I want to read a few paragraphs from an article that just came out in the Christian Century, written by Jessica Mesman, following the Uvalde shooting, the school shooting. She said, for one's family to be murdered during a celebration of American independence is a particularly horrible betrayal, especially when so many in this country will continue to claim that their independence relies on the right of the murderer to his weapon. I look at my children and feel helpless, unable to give them the good things I wish I could, unable to give them even their safety. It feels futile to protest or even pray when prayer has been deployed so often by those in power as an alternative to action. The desire to gather my children to me to bolt the door and retreat from the world is intense. I do not want to hear any more litanies of lost children. I keep returning to this passage, our passage for today, Don, to search the preaching of Jesus for a way to approach a God who is a better parent than I am, a parent who always answers, who would never place a servant in the hands of a child. But I keep finding myself and the friend who has barricaded himself in his bedroom. Do not bother me. The door has already been locked and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up. And she ends with, of course, the friend does get, get up eventually when the calls for help become so persistent that he cannot ignore them anymore. The calls for help are persistent. The whispered litany of victims continues I'm praying for the courage to keep listening, to get up and answer the door. A, a twist on that metaphor, sometimes we are the one to open the door for someone else. I'll end with that. Thank you, Bill. I look forward to reading that full article. I appreciate that. Um, Charles Willard, The Good Gift. 
I think my good gift is going to have to be silence. That's always our loss, but okay. Uh, And then, uh, Sarah, I'll come to you last. I'll just uh, um, tell you, Bill, how much that that prayer as an alternative to action is resonating with me. So I really appreciate that article. Prayer as an alternative action, which is a a real uh, challenge. not prayer but the knock, not prayer but the opening. And I, I like to consider how prayer, as we're being taught to pray, allows prayer to transition and to become something that is action in itself, is prayer that hovers and prayer that is closer to action. I think that's where the good gift comes into it, with the concrete sense of opening a door, knocking the door. You understand what that means. And this promise that we know the good gift, we we can we understand it. We we can get there. Uh, that good gift uh, may be what you're saying is opening the door itself. Uh, but I I want to it's going to be tough. But I I want to take it from that abstract prayer as an alternative to action to the discipline of what Jesus is teaching. And I'll I think this would be true for all of us. That personal narrative that we have with ourselves. For me, it would be as an adolescent, as a young boy you know, on my own, by myself, just wondering. Could be standing outside by myself in the night skies above me. What is it, that yearning, that curiosity that we have? Where are you? What is this? Those broad questions that I think we dismiss a lot as trite and banal, but I think they're dismissed that uh, a lot because we all have them. Uh, and it's hovering out there. Uh, and I think what Jesus is doing and this is just my, my personal interpretation, is there's a recognition that we are tied together with those fundamental questions and yearnings, but there's something more to do. There is a discipline uh, in the prayer. There's, there's a discernment in the prayer that Jesus is trying to pull us to. So, uh, Sarah, you're, you're a film fan like I am. It's, uh, it's like taking the questions you have, like in a Terrence Malick movie, if you, if you folks know that, there's always a narrative. And you actually hear people, grown, grown-ups, going, where are you? Who are you? Why am I like this? What is happening? And I think Jesus is saying, okay, but that's not really knocking. The knocking and what's inside has something more to do with the Christian discernment that we have today, which is something like the good gift. You know what health looks like. You know what feeding a child looks like. You know what nourishment feels like. You know what hospitality brings. You know. I feel his finger pointing. You know. Yes, you can speculate and you wonder, and it's a beautiful thing. What is this? What is this universe? Who am I? What is life? Jesus is going, no, this discipline takes you a step further. The tangibility. What is nourishment? What is hospitality? What is welcoming? What is caring for each other? You're not alone. You're not alone in asking the big question, but you're not alone in focusing on these few things and the bread and the gift and the love. I think he's working hard. I feel his finger almost wagging on this this time. I never felt it before. Go that extra step. What is the good gift? You know what the good gift is. That'll take you the next step. Sarah, how about you? You get to wrap up today. What are your thoughts on the good gift? Um. First and foremost, let me. I'm going to walk us back just a minute. You, Don, said that you found yourself nose to the door 
and that you felt alone in that you were about to go through a door in, into a new universe. Somebody's on the other side of that door. So you're not alone, which, which is an interesting idea. The door doesn't just magically open like on, you know, Star Trek spaceship. <laughs> There's somebody there to receive you, to open the door and as, as prepared for your arrival, so to speak. So there's that. I think that also takes a certain amount of courage to be at the door and and prepared to knock. That there's the boldness of the impudence is right there that has led us here. We we've, we've been searching for this door to knock on. We've chosen this door to knock on. So it takes some of that um, self intrinsic drive to put us in that position that were nose to the door. So having walked back to those two ideas, I'm going to offer up that a might a good gift be described as something that brings life rather than something that gives destruction. Um, something that offers health, like nourishment, rather than death. Um, what do the gifts we offer to each other provide or bring? And in giving of our time, our attention, our support, our encouragement, our sustenance, our nourishment, are we bringing life to others? And are we promoting God's kingdom here and now by doing those things? And is grace the apparent gift that we're offering? It just takes a different form in every situation. And those were the things that drove me to consider what a good gift might look like. And that's all I got for you today. Thank you. Well, I mean, let me just uh, stick on this one second before we say goodbye. I, I, I'm really intrigued by you, you caught me on the aloneness, nose to the door, but the perception is alone, right? I, exactly. I got that on, yeah. yeah, my perception is valid in that uh, we feel alone there, but we don't see. We don't see if if the universe is right there. It's just. Right, right there. The door is two inches thick. It's right there. But I feel like I'm alone at that point. Am I with you on that? Yeah, maybe. Okay. Okay. But I want well, you to be uh, excited with the idea that there's somebody waiting. Yeah. I still feel my finger, you know, at my cheek going, hmm, hmm. I guess that's why Jesus has to make such a bold, simple metaphor for us to say, hey, knock. And it's tangible. Everything's tangible inside. Well, folks, thank you. Boy, I've learned a lot today. Thank you so much. And for folks listening in, Palmasia Presbyterian Church is at 3501 West San Jose Street. That's in Tampa, Florida. And for more information, you can go to palmasia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A.org. We always commend that site to you. Great sermons, discussions of Scripture, disagreements about Scripture, uh, prayer, lots of prayer. <laughs> and, and prayer about things that are current and things that are eternal. Uh, so we commend that to you, especially this week. Opportunities to take communion and outstanding music. And you're always welcome. And we'll see you next time.